Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. The following is intended solely for the use of those with a sense of adventure. I'm shaking the dust of this town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. This is Travel with Hawkeye. Here's your host, Mark Hawkeye Lewis. Our guest today is Timothy Malcolm from the book Baseball Road Trips, the complete guide to all the ballparks with beer, bites, and sights nearby. An excellent book. And, Timothy, I'm just going to jump right into it and ask you this question. Am I correct in assuming that you're a huge baseball fan? No, never watched it. No, I'm kidding. I'm a huge baseball fan. Okay, and my next question then is, um, have you set as a goal – uh, to visit all 30 ballparks, uh, Major League Baseball ballparks? And if yes, how many have you visited? So, yes, absolutely. It's, it's my goal to see them all. I have not been to all of them yet, uh, which is a shame, but uh, COVID actually knocked it out a bit. Um, I have seen 23 of the 30 that are existing currently in Major League Baseball. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, what's your favorite one that you've been to? Well, my favorite, and it has a lot of personal connection to me, is Fenway Park in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I grew up with Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia as my home park, and uh, that is uh, maybe the worst ballpark that has been created <laughs> in the last 50 years or so. Yes. Uh, you know, I have a soft spot for it in some places, but it's, it's, it wasn't a very aesthetic ballpark. Um, but Fenway was the first that I really got to see with clear eyes as I was younger. And coming uh, through the tunnel and seeing the green monster, seeing actual grass and not astroturf, you know, seeing just a beautiful field in front of me and experiencing a park that was old and tight seating and, you know, electricity was really high. You know, anytime you're Fenway with a bunch of people and it's a good game, you feel like you're on top of the action and you're with everybody as one. And that really has been special to me. And I got to be in Boston a lot in my life. I went to school there, so I got to see a lot of games at Fenway. So to me, it's to this day my favorite. Uh, I would rank it up near the top, too. But I kind of, I almost don't want to put it in there because the Red Sox are my favorite team. And uh, mm-hmm. so, of course, it's going to be my favorite. I've always, I've always loved Fenway Park. And over the years, I've seen it, it, the experience out there. And that's one of the great things about your book. It's not just about visiting the ballpark. It's about visiting the surrounding cities and what to do if you've got, you know, four hours before the game or a day before the game. Uh, the experience at Fenway has really changed over the years because now, like, the surrounding blocks are really kind of part of the ballpark experience. Yeah, I was I was actually at school in Boston in the early 2000s and was there for the year that they won the world championship in 2004. And just before that, uh, the, the it was called Yawkey Way at the time, the, the street that borders the park there, was, you know, still a street where cars could drive on and, and you could just kind of, yes. know, it's just a regular street. But right as they won the World Series at that time, that's when they started closing down that street. And now you have merchandise shops you have you know food options you have there's a guy called the sausage guy who has a cart with sausages and he's around the park at all times um you know there's great bars in that area the Caskin flagon is one of the best bars yeah. around the ballpark it's a great place um now it's jersey street it's what it's called 
And it is it, – it, it, they close it down before the game. It is this, you know, just walking sort of carnival midway kind of a thing where you can just have a good time, get set for the game, meet some fans, have a bite to eat, have a drink before you go into the ballpark. And they've actually kept it open. If you want to go in the bar, park and have your – to watch the game, you can come back on to Jersey Street yeah. and like get something in Jersey Street, and then go back into the park, and that's that's something that no other park really does at this point. It really is interesting. Yeah, I I remember like going there in the '80s and them having a, uh, a I believe it was a bowling alley in the basement there, <laughs> of Fenway <laughs> yep. Park. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, it was it was very yeah very different. Um, well, and, and then the whole ballpark experience was a, a lot different then. But Fenway, yeah, has taken it to an interesting level. And I I tell my wife this, and I, I this is why I'm so excited to talk to you because my wife doesn't believe this, uh, but I've always felt like the outfield of any ballpark is kind of like the stage in a play, and unlike any other sport, I, I tell my wife I can instantly tell you what ballpark that is when I look at the outfield. I know what where this where I'm watching a game from, and I believe that you're probably exactly the same. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> You know, again, growing up, um, there was a baseball, there was a video game called uh, RBI Baseball. I think it was 93. Um, and it was a funny, it was a funny video game because you could play it as a regular game. But they also had this uh, mode in the game where you could literally just scan an empty ballpark. <laughs> and they had all the ballparks and you could just scan it. And I would be, I would lose hours just in that mode because it was 1993. They didn't have a lot of, you know, great technology. The, the graphics weren't as, you know, superb as they are now. But they still had the warehouse in Oriole Park at Camden Yard. They had the fountains at Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. Um, you know, they had the Big Apple uh, at Chase Stadium. Yeah. You know, back when back from the Metro Chase Stadium. So that became sort of, oh God, these are these little quirks that I really want to like see. You know, when I go to different parks. And you're right. You know, I have in my mind. I know what ballpark it is by just looking at that outfield backdrop. I know exactly where I am. I know what I'm looking for. I know the quirks. I know the cool things. That's been with me for the past, you know, 30-odd years of my life. I mean, it's, it's just that's one of the things that I fell in love with with ballparks right from the get-go. Yeah, it really is unique to, to that sport in baseball because other yeah. venues, you know, you don't really know. Looking at, you just mainly see the field or the court. And you don't really know where you're at. And, but baseball, yeah, you just like, there's the background. There's Wrigley Field. There's the Ivy. You know, there's the Golden Bridge in, in Pittsburgh and so on and so on. And everybody's got something. And it's interesting that, you know, you kind of grew up in the cookie-cutter era of Veterans Stadium, which was not unlike uh, Bush Stadium in St. Louis and not unlike Atlanta, Fulton County Stadium in Atlanta and all the other cookie-cutter Three River Stadium. I think Three River Stadium and Veterans Stadium uh, are were almost the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, and you and you really have to look for the quirks when you're at those stadiums to find the differences, right? Yeah. The so Veterans Stadium growing up, there were a couple things. There was a Liberty Bell. Yes. This big, like, you know, like metallic metal Liberty Bell that they put in center field. And then they put it on the roof uh, in the 80s. And then there was also this one seat in the 600 level. So Veterans Stadium had seven levels of seats, just gigantic stadium. And in the sixth level of seats, there was one seat in particular that wasn't the same color as the others. It was a it was it was a seat that had a, a big star on it, with a, like a black star, black and yellow star, and the letter S. And the reason for that is because that's where Willie Stargell hit the longest home run ever recorded at the Veterans Stadium. I think it was the first or second year of its existence, all the way up to the 600 level. So it must have been you know 480, 500 feet, something like that. And they marked it with an S on the chair. So there were these little things that you had to pick out. With the cookie cutter stadiums, they're like, okay, this is what makes this unique, and those are the things I hung on for 
I don't know, 15 years of my life since I was going to these stadiums. But yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, in the Mall of America, there is a, a, like on one of the walls, there's a stadium seat up on a wall that that was a, like a red stadium seat where Harmon Killebrew hit a home run in back when uh, when the old Metropolitan Stadium was up, mm-hmm. the Twins' first home, and they kept the st- they kept the chair and they put it in the approximate location of the Mall of America where that chair was, where that seat was, and you made me think of that. So uh, let me ask you this question here. Uh, uh, is there any old torn-down ballparks, A, that you visited that you absolutely love that you're sad to see go, or B, that you never got to and you really wish you had a chance to go visit them? That's a great question. I was able to go to the original, not the original, but the classic Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went in 1993. My dad took me. It was, uh, I think, August of 93. The Royals were in town, and it was actually George Brett's last game at Yankee Stadium, which is a big deal for George Brett because, you know, the Royals yes. had a big rivalry through the 80s and such. The Pine Tar um, game. The Pine Tar incident. Was it Yankee? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was really cool. And I loved, I, I don't remember much about the Yankee Stadium experience, but I do remember how, like, almost scary it was sitting up <laughs> in the upper deck and being that steep up on, you know, uh, uh, as high above as I was, um, and the feeling of sort of like fear. And that's kind of cool in a way because you don't get that at the new parks, especially the new Yankee Stadium. It's it's much more comfortable and yeah. it's much more, you know, it's all about the fan experience and, and you're paying premium for that. Whereas at the old Yankee Stadium, it was a little steep, it was a little scary, but it was also when playoff games, you know, were happening and, and, and it was a full house and it was loud. It was an electric place and it shook and you kind of miss that, right? Yeah. And then and then uh, the part that maybe has been not been around, I mean, the part that's closed a long time ago, I, I don't know. I You know what? The Polo Grounds was always one that I oh, really... I would love to, to go to the Polo Grounds. I'm kind of obsessed with the Polo Grounds. <laughs> yeah, just just how it, like ridiculously far away center field is from home yes, right there. Yes, yes. Um, and, and just to be able to, and sitting in those grandstands, like, could you actually see what was going on on the field? I'm not sure. But the, the atmosphere, you know, especially back in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, when people were wearing, you know, top hats and yeah. their clothes at the ball game, like, what would that have been like? I mean, it's such a different way of life now watching a baseball game. Now you go in your T-shirt and shorts, it's all good. But, you know, back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, people were dressing up. This was, you know, social. You know, this was a social thing, you know, to go and, and, and look your best yeah. at ball games. So, I know. Very dear. I see those crowds from those games, like the World Series, and you see people, yeah, dressed up in coat and tie, and I think, nah, I, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody in my recent life in a coat and tie at a ball game, maybe an usher somewhere. But, yeah, the polo grounds, you know, and, and what's interesting is Willie Nelson, I'm Willie Nelson, Willie Mays, uh, in his rookie year, lived like in walking distance of the polo grounds. And uh, I, I recently found where his apartment complex was, and he would walk to the games. And then there's also some staircases still there in the neighborhood that would get yep. fans to the polo grounds. In fact, there was one that the Mets and the San Francisco Giants recently paid to have refurbished uh, yep. from from not too long yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah, that that's actually in the book in the New York section. Um, I do put in the uh, polo ground steps. It's there's there's a it's part of a park there yeah. in Manhattan. Uh, you can you know go to this park and then like on, on the side there are these there's a staircase and those are the polo ground steps. So that's really neat that they've been able to preserve some of those things through the years. Uh, you know, especially a park like that. I mean, you know, what a what a cool thing to just like be part of. 
Yeah, I'll tell you the other place. Uh, uh, you know, Polo Grounds is on the top of my list, a place I would have loved to go to. And the other one is in Philadelphia, where both the yeah. Phillies and the A's played, uh, Scheib Park. I really wish I would have gotten to see that. I'm I, and boy, I know it was like in the final days, it was just really decrepit in the shadow of itself. But, but that place yeah. when it was built, it looked like uh, it looked like a like a palace. Yeah. Oh my God, that beautiful you know home plate, the the sort of crystal you know uh, uh, entrance there. Yeah. Like, what was it like, like Broad and Lehigh or wherever it was yeah. in Philadelphia. Just a gorgeous, you know, uh, entrance to that ballpark. My dad, uh, we're from Philadelphia originally, my dad was able to go when it was Penny Mac Stadium in its final days, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, sometime in the 60s. I'm sure he went a couple times. But he would tell me that, you know, that park was just disgusting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, grandstands falling apart and people throwing things onto the field. And, you know, they had basically stopped caring about, you know, refurbishing the stadium. So it really didn't look good. But, but you're right, you know, the the beauty of that lobby there and then the outfield with the high wall and right field and yeah. the cool advertisements and just, you know, the, like how tough it was to hit a home run to right field in that stadium. Um, what, what a cool place. I would have loved to go there. You know, it's interesting because actually that was not unlike Wrigley Field where there were uh, apartments and homes in right field that you could see into the stadium. They built what they called the spite wall to block people from getting free views of that. But those homes, if you look at those old pictures and then you go like to Google Map or Google Earth today, you'll find that those homes are still there on that street that once looked into the ballpark. Yeah, that's exactly right. And there's a funny thing that I saw on Twitter recently, and I don't know if this is verified or not, but I believe, I think it's Kyle Lowry of the Toronto Raptors, uh-huh. uh, great great NBA player, apparently lived in one of those houses. Wow. Uh, not during the time of Connie Mack, obviously, but you know his family still lives in one of those houses right across the street from the old Connie Mack Stadium. Very, really neat. Very cool. All right, you said there were, I think you said six stadiums you haven't been to yet. What's on that list that's like, I got to see this place? Well, I, I unfortunately have not yet been able to get to the Southern California parks. That was on my list in uh, 2020, and then COVID-19 uh, you know, canceled everything, of course. So I still have to get the Dodger Stadium and Angel Stadium and Petco Park. And those are some I, – I need to get there. I need to get there. I, You know, Dodger Stadium is yeah. a gorgeous place. I've seen it enough to know. Um, and, of course, having a Dodger dog and a beer, that's something I want to do. Um, and then, you know, the new Globe Life uh, in, in, in Arlington. You oh, know, sure, yeah. I mean, considering that, you know, nobody got to go to that when it opened, and now it just opened this year. Yeah. Um, you know, that's on my list. I'm hoping to get out there probably this fall, you know, when the weather calms down a little bit more here in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's on my list. Um, but certainly the Southern California parks, I mean, that's on the top of my list, just be able to, you know, experience that for maybe a week or so. I'll tell you what, Petco Park does not disappoint, and I think that is kind of the Wrigley Field of the 21st century, in my opinion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they, they, there's such a great scene around that park. It's right there in the Gasland District, yeah. which is they've really done a good job with that. And there's a ton of breweries and bars. And that's a big part of the book is, you know, I thought about what would make uh, myself go, you know, to these cities, not just baseball, but I love beer. And I think those two things really work together well. And so I wanted to make sure that there was a host of breweries and bars in the book. And San Diego's gas lamp and the Petco Park area, I mean, really great for that. Um, and, yeah, the park is just gorgeous. I mean, they've done a great job of fitting in that park where the Western Metal Supply Company is there in left field and making sure that's part of the scene there. Um, it's, and it's an intimate park, but it still feels like a modern park. 
Yeah, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, it really was great. I really absolutely loved uh, Petco Field. Have you been to the stadium in Miami? I always wonder what that's like. Yeah, so was Marlins Park now Lone Depot, which is not a great name. Oh, I didn't uh, know they gave uh, it. I didn't know they were naming right. I know it was Marlins Park. What is it called? Yeah. Lone Depot Park, I think, or Lone Depot Field. I think. It's what is Park that? Field. What is Lone Depot? What is that? I think it's an insurance uh, company or something like that. You know, they just paid a lot of money to sure, have their name yeah. on it. <laughs> but you know what? I, I really like that park. I, I got there in 2019, and I was expecting just any old retractable roof stadium, but it's the first park that's been constructed in this neo-modern, neo-contemporary style. Yeah. That's very angular. There's a lot of glass. Of course, there's that big glass wall in the outfield that looks out to the city. Um, and when that's all down and it's open, it's just a gorgeous view of the Miami skyline. Um, there's a lot of art, modern art, peppered around in, in the stadium there because they wanted to make sure that it sort of reflects the Miami culture. So it's this very minimalistic, gray-white sort of building with a lot of glass and then this beautiful, colorful art that is all throughout. So it's a really cool, you know, different take on the ballpark experience. And then the food is actually really good there. They've done a really good job of putting a lot of Miami flavor into the food vendors. So you have Jose Andres, who's this great chef, who, of course, you know, has done a lot of work with charitable foundations and things like that. He's got his own kitchen there. There's great Cuban food there. There's um, amazing seafood, fresh local seafood that they put in there. I mean, it's a really fun park. It's, I think, one of the more underrated parks in the country. All right, before I let you go, and first of all, thank you very much for your time. I could I could be here for four hours talking ballparks <laughs> with you. I absolutely loved your book. I highly recommend it, Baseball Road Trips. Timothy Malcolm, the complete guide to all the ballparks with beer, bites, and sites nearby. So, I mean, if you're a baseball fan, you want to visit all 30 parks or as many as you can get to. This is a great book because it kind of tells you, like I said before, all these different things in these cities to see. Uh, they always end up giving us questions to ask, and I, I appreciate that. And there's one on here I really wanted to a- ask you. It's like, Tips on how to get autographs and foul balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so autographs, a lot of teams still allow you to go and down to the dugouts, right? You go down to where the dugouts are, that first row yeah. on either side of either dugout, and you can just stand there about 45 minutes before the game starts and, and you know hold out your scorebook, your glove, whatever you have, and make sure you have a pen with you. And a player, you know, they might – Players might come up and get an autograph there. So that's kind of the, that's the traditional way of doing it, and a lot of teams still do that. Some teams have actually restricted that, and they don't allow that anymore. But a lot of teams either have – you can go to a special parking lot, and there's a couple in the book that we talk about. There's one I think especially – I think Wrigley Field. They have a parking lot maybe two blocks away where players come to go to their cars, and you can, there's an actual designated spot where you can stand and uh, get your autograph for any player who comes over. Um, but also teams on Sunday afternoons typically will bring in, you know, a great player from the past or something like that, and they will have a designated time where they're sitting down and they're going to do autographs. And it's free because the team has put it together. And so you can come with whatever you have and get your autograph from, you know, an older player. may not be the best player ever, but it may be somebody from yeah. the past you maybe have nostalgic feelings for or whatever. And so that's a really cool thing. As far as foul balls, I just tell people to get to the ballpark as early as you can especially on Sundays. They usually open the gates earlier than most days, two hours early in some cases. Get there early for both batting practices. Home is always first, opponents are second, and opponent batting practice usually ends about 45 minutes before first pitch. Um, So get there as early as you can for that. And stand in the outfield, left, right fields are, are best, first couple rows there after the fence, and that's where you can get your home run balls for batting practice. And then for foul balls, 
I mean, if you could sit in the lower level, sort of midway, kind of back, a little bit past the bags, first and third pace bags, that's your best bet because of the netting that all these teams have put up over yeah. the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, it's harder to get a foul ball right back. But if you're sitting beyond those nets and sort of the left and right field corners there, you might be able to get some foul balls. And remember, right, uh, right-handed hitters usually hit foul balls to the left side. Left-handed hitters hit foul balls to the right side, typically. So you're better off in the left field area in the corner there because there's more right-handed hitters in the game, and that's where you're going to get more foul balls. So those are some tips, but there's always people who just kind of run around the park looking for foul balls. So be careful for the Hawkers as well. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, too, those nets, which I I see the need for them. I mean, it was getting kind of, you know, you know there was so many incidents, and I understand what the netting has really cut down on is the players tossing the ball uh, into the stands uh, when they run into the dugout. They used to do that all the time. Now it kind of yep. makes it a little bit more challenging sometime to get it to who you want to, you know, who the ball they want it to go to. So they skip on it a lot. I've seen that happen. So, but uh, yeah, you know, the law of unintended consequences. <laughs> That's right. That's one of my favorite stories as a kid. Uh, we were at a game at Veterans Stadium, and they were playing the Cardinals. And Ray Langford of the Cardinals, pretty good player at the time, uh, threw my brother a baseball coming into the dugout. So, you know, that can't happen anymore. But but that little interaction that my brother had with Ray Langford, he still remembers to this day. So, you know, you lose some things. But at the end of the day, you know, I think the, the game, the experience is still fantastic yeah. and you can find ways to really make it your own and especially through this book i think yeah excellent book absolutely loved it i loved our conversation thanks again timothy for your time today yeah, thanks hawkeye it was a great pleasure you've been listening to the travel with hawkeye podcast i'm mark hawkeye lewis the world is out there your adventure awaits